0: Boom. We're live. We are live. We're here on Zoom. We're live on Facebook. Welcome, world. Bienvenidos. It's great to have everybody joining us. We already have people here on Zoom and great. watching on Facebook. Uh well, you know, I've been looking forward to this since we first first communicated a few weeks ago. Um, I'll do my best with an introduction. I'm just gonna go with what I'm thinking, I've been thinking of. All along, which is uh, my guest today is to me um, and to many of us an icon in the music industry, in the world of jazz music, uh, a drummer, a producer, an educator, and so many more things. And a really great guy, from what I've told, and it just feels uh, that way already, right? So, no, but seriously, I started following you. I figured it out a couple of days ago. It was 1985. Freddie Hubbard. And. Ever since then, man, mm. I love all you do. So without further ado, I want to welcome my special guest, Mr. Carl Allen. Welcome. You. How you doing, man? I'm good, Carl. How are you? It feels I feel great to You're be here one
1: by the same name, but, you know, <laughs> we're good. We're good.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's funny because when you know, one of the things I think of when I hear about you the first time, ah, a drummer named Carl, <laughs> I don't know too many. But, yeah, it was Freddie Hubbard, and it was an album that you're on. I can't tell you which one, but if you said it, I might remember. Well, uh, it was
1: the one which, with Woody Shaw, because we did two of those. So the first one was Double Take, and the second one was Eternal Triangle.
0: Hmm. Double Take.
1: Yeah. And by the way, today's Freddie's birthday. He would have been 83 today.
0: No kidding, really? Oh, man. Yeah. Love that guy. We'll we'll talk about him, too. Um well, yeah. So, again, first of all, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy, but you're taking this time and I appreciate it very much.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Great to meet you. Um, we have people on Zoom. We have Antonio Guerrero, Chris Ravelli, Gregory Grover Jr. Welcome. If you have anything to say or any, anything, just type it in the chat box. Um, Antonio says, Hi, Carl. To you, I'm not late, me,
1: Antonio. <laughs> Hope you're Laura. Well,
0: and also, uh, anyone watching on Facebook, if you have any questions for Carl Allen, please jot them down in the comments and I'll follow the feed. Um, so let's start with this thing that uh, you just got appointed to, which I want to congratulate you very much for. This is fantastic. Please share with us about this. This is so cool.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I'm very honored and blessed. I accepted a position as the new endowed chair of jazz studies at umkc which is university of missouri kansas city beautiful great great program and in fact the gentleman who retired uh he and i've been friends for many many years great saxophonist bobby watson
0: oh man i love bobby yeah 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 so that's uh, so cool yeah in fact i just saw a picture of bobby maybe on your page i've been following him for a long time man
1: yeah yeah yep yep in fact, if you go to his page, he's he did a record and he's trying to sell a hundred vinyl. Of oh this yeah, recording project this this barbecue suite, Gates barbecue suite, and uh, he's got to make that hundred because if they don't, they only they will only print a minimum of a hundred. So okay. if they didn't get to a hundred, he's got to refund everybody their money.
0: Oh jeez. That, that's not fun. So we no. We got to have like 40 more to tomorrow. go or something, right? Yeah. 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 All right, people go find Bobby Watson and buy it. I'll do it today. That's great.
1: And while you're online looking for stuff and you got your credit card out. Yes. If you go to my page, Carl I have a virtual store and you can go and you, you know, now I'm not going to guarantee you when you buy the shirts and the hats and the hoodies and the sweats you're
0: gonna look as cool as me
1: but it's a start
0: okay (laughs) no i was checking out that store a couple weeks ago man that's you got some great stuff there
1: yeah check it out check it out. gotta
0: get some uh i need to start collecting more drum paraphernalia meaning not even drum stuff as much as drums other stuff yeah it's always other stuff right hats stuff like that yeah that's cool well, yeah, you know, it's interesting, because um, I want to go back to your store again, too, and your website and recordings. But um, I, I I, wish I, I feel bad about this, I almost feel guilty, but I have not seen you perform live ever. And I was living in Chicago. eighty-two, eighty-three, eighty three with the intention of going to Northwestern, and I just decided not to go. I got accepted and decided to gig. Yeah. And yeah. that probably wasn't the best move for me, but. It was a move, and it was really cool because in Chicago, I live in Syracuse, New York, but that's where I'm from. And like all the big cities, you know it. You've played them all. I mean, you get to see everybody. Yeah, I saw Freddie with, uh, you know, a uh, couple different situations. I saw, you know, Dexter and Eddie Gladden, and I was like, Ooh. oh my! And the well, list goes and on and on, and on and
1: on. With Rufus Reed and and Kurt Lightsey.
0: Yes, Kurt, yep. Rufus, Eddie. Yeah, and Rufus is Rufus teaching it? Uh, Not anymore.
1: Uh, William Patterson.
0: Yeah, right. He used oh, to. Oh, that's he's now he's one of your mentors, isn't he, or a teacher? He was my
1: teacher because I went to school with William Patterson. I transferred from Green Bay, Wisconsin.
0: I remember hearing that somewhere or reading it. And and what do if, you if you don't mind me asking? We're kind of going with the flow here, but um, what? Years were you there? If you don't mind sharing, yeah. That.
1: So I, I was, I was, I transferred my junior year, so I was there eighty one to eighty three. I did my last two years for bachelor's okay. degree, and uh, and I still to call Rufus my teacher because that meant he changed my life. You know, I love him dearly. But I well, used you know, I'd like to when I was walking because I used to go down to Chicago to hear music a lot.
0: Uh, remember like uh Rick's Cafe at the Holiday Inn. Lakeshore, there Um, was uh, the Joe Siegel's Jazz Showcase in one of many places. Yep. Where else? Grant Park back in the day. Uh, That was the place
1: I played with Freddie. Well, I played a few places in Chicago with Freddie. We played the showcase many times, but I'll never forget in 1985. You mentioned 85. Maybe that that was the gig that you missed. We played Rick's Cafe September 9th through the 14th. I just remember dates for some
0: reason. Yeah, me too. Kenny, Kenny, yeah,
1: so Kenny I Garrett. I just moved
0: here. back. I had just moved back here just before oh. that, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kenny Garrett has just joined the band. Oh. And then a couple of years later, we played in Chicago. Uh, he had a falling out with Joe Siegel, so there was a few years where he couldn't play in the showcase, right? So we played this other little place that was downstairs, just a couple of steps, called the Jazz Bulls.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a different kind of spot yeah, yeah. trying to remember some of the other clubs uh, i mean i played a bunch of clubs but not those that high up i mean you know like the back room or back door or whatever it was on north rush mm-hmm. uh, judy roberts used to play uh, gary hobbs was playing there it was some, i can't remember who when he was coming through with the kenton band and then uh i don't know it was a great period i saw a lot of great people at grant park too like yeah. cecil taylor with ed blackwell and uh i can't remember, but. Miles, mm. Tom Basie, I don't yeah. know. It, it, oh, Stan Getz at Rick's Cafe too with Adam Nussbaum. It's my yeah. first time seeing that. That was great. Navy Pier, yeah, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Uh, I I had been thinking a little bit. I try not to overthink when I'm going to speak with somebody who uh I admire so much as yourself. But uh, one of the things I wanted to do in When you're talking about rufus reed and i think i've heard you maybe say this in in, and somewhere online on youtube or reddit somewhere about how we can have mentors Uh, we can take lessons and we can study some people can be teachers others are actual mentors and i know speaking from personal experience i've had lessons with you know some really great drummers and uh, one of them was a mentor uh They're all gone now, except for Peter Erskine, still here, luckily, doing well. Stints in his heart last week, but he's kicking butt. Yeah, yeah, love him dearly. Um, But some of the best lessons or or mentorship I've had have been from non drummers and Mm -hmm. non, so non playing lessons. They were conceptual lessons. It was an idea. It was an approach. And how do you describe? I'm curious about your your uh, idea of mentorship, you know, you have to say the bad stuff if you're a mentor, yeah. pick them up, yeah. carry, you know, lift them, but also make sure they know where they're at. And including if it's good stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Rufus well, I, was a mentor to you, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and let me just say, I think the concept of a mentor is really rooted in love and support. Yeah. You know, and sometimes as you alluded to, may say something that's, that may not be pleasant to the ears, but it's something that needs to be heard but Rufus was my teacher uh, when I got to William Patterson and he was the first one to really talk to me about taking lessons with people not of your instrument. And I had some lessons with him outside of the school. Yeah. And, um, and, and that seemed so foreign to me when he first mentioned it. But of course, in hindsight, it makes so much sense because, okay, as a drummer, uh, if I take a lesson with another drummer, it's <clears throat> probably going to be centered around the drums, mm-hmm. right? Which which is logical. If I take a lesson with a bass player, they can tell me what it is that I might need to know from a bass player's perspective. Yeah. It could be very, very different coming from a drummer's perspective. It doesn't mean that one cancels out the other. It's all valid, potentially, but it's still another perspective. But the other part about it, which he, he shared with me, is that the drummer that you take a lesson with might be able to recommend you for a gig, mm-hmm. but less likely to call you to hire you for a gig.
0: True.
1: Right? So if That's you take a, a lesson with a saxophonist or bassist or pianist, you know, they, they might call you and hire you for a gig. I've told I've told shared that with so many young drummers. I said, listen, call up so-and-so, call up so-and-so, learn their music and ask can you get a lesson? You're not asking, can you come and jam with them? Mm -hmm. Nobody know who you are at this point. They don't have really have an interest in just jamming with you. Yeah. But if you call and say, can I have a lesson? And, you know, maybe I can play some of you. Then it's kind of like, oh, okay. All right. Let's see what I got available, you know? And it's just another access and also another way to get another perspective
0: of how to play the music. But it just broadens you. It, it, It... If you're listening and you take it all in and digest and process, you can it'll expand who you are as a musician and how you present, maybe change a lot of things for you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: By the way, my mom is watching. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> this is Carl Allen, one of my favorite drummers. I'm going to tip on, play some songs when I see you next, Mom. Uh, he's worked with some of our favorites. Freddie Hubbard, Bobby What the, the list goes on and on. Um, yeah, you know, I was taking lessons in 80, 81 from a, a guy who played, like, with the Manjoni brothers and Woody Harman. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, Danny D'Imperio. No, I don't. So he was, I actually saw him the first time with Maynard's band back before Erskine joined. Mm. He was coming more from a big band approach at the time, but you know, he's done a lot of jazz trio stuff. One of the things I loved about working with him is that he's a really good bass player.
1: Oh, really? And he
0: lives forty-five minutes south of me in Cortland, so I would go to his house, and I had a great bass player telling me how to improve my drumming and what because he's a great drummer. What a great experience! Wow, well, that's a,
1: that's what we call a double threat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those are the kind of people that many of us hate. <laughs> yeah, So pick one,
0: but that's great. Yeah, I mean, he used to come up and do gigs here once in a while, and it was his trio, but he was never on drums. His dad played piano, he played bass, and he got some local drummer, and it was really cool. Nice to see that versatility. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I was looking, and I mean, I don't know where your discography begins and ends, but it's more than drumming. There's a lot of production you've done, too. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I produced, uh, I think, about 72, 73 records
0: hmm.
1: And um, I, I never set out to be a producer or anything like that. Many of the things that I've gotten into, particularly as it pertains to the business side, was kind of out of necessity. You know, when I was with Freddie uh, and I became the road manager, it's not I didn't have aspirations of being a road manager. I didn't even know what that was. It yeah. just it, it happened to be that I was the youngest in the band the only one who didn't really hang out and party. And so, you know, of course, if Freddie say, okay, lobby call tomorrow at 10, i I'd be in the lobby at 9.45, and everybody else show up at 10.15, 10.20. And mm-hmm. I get upset, and I try to figure out why am i always the only one on time. So he would say, well, get me a wake-up call then, since then, because you know, he would always oversleep. And <laughs> some of the other cats would say, well, man, give me a wake-up call. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not... I'm not your band. So yeah. you know, after a while, I was kind of joking with Freddie. I said, "Look, man, if I'm gonna be doing all this extra work. I didn't need to get paid some more money." Yeah, all right, all right. So it just kind of morphed into that. Yeah, you know, from there, from, you know, you know, to carrying the band's cash to booking flights and other stuff. You know. Oh but wow! Yeah, with, yeah. But with the production, the way that started, um so you had before we actually went on air we were talking about art blakey a little bit and art was yes. the one responsible for me getting my first record deal okay so i was in japan and this guy approached me after a concert my first time there and said that uh art had spoken with with him about me but so after we had agreed you know that i was going to do this record for them uh this was you know long before internet and any of that so <clears throat> we were it was the fax machine was new Yeah, I remember that. And he said, you got a fax machine? I was like, "Uh, yeah. And I didn't have one. So I would go to like a little pop center. Yeah, go to, and you know, you can, they give you a telephone number and you can have a fax that sit there, a long formal paper. So anyway, but he said, look, you know, I can't make the first session. So just do it and you'll send me the finished master. I was like, okay. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what a master was. I didn't know anything. But Mm. I, you know, excuse me, I had been hearing for many years, people would say, if someone asks you, can you do something, even if you can't, you say yes, and then you figure it out. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's what I did, and it just kind of morphed into, you know, I developed a relationship with him, then I, I did several records of my own, and I started producing other people, and then I started meeting other labels, other you know, other labels in Japan, and then some European labels and some labels here in the States, but it just
0: kind of morphed from there you know Mm -hmm. um i just had about 10 different thoughts well let's go back though to um i did want to ask you about the first actually your first let's say gig that was maybe for you at the time the big gig like your introduction into the next tier you're working with freddie or whatever led up to that yeah what what was your trajectory there like you came from milwaukee yeah and- so
1: be, be, before the first gig with Freddie, mm-hmm. uh, four years before, um, you know, part of the tradition in jazz for many, many years, horn players in particular, would travel around and do what's called um, called singles. Like they would go and they would play with a local rhythm section, right? right. And so um, at that time, I'm about 16, um, these two saxophonists had come to town and uh you know local rhythm section so the guys who would normally play weren't available and because I had been kind of hanging out they said okay well basically we're going to give you the gig you know and I wasn't ready but um but you know it was just I was kind of next in line and those two gentlemen happened to be named Sonny Stitt and Red Holloway whoa and um and yeah. many many years later I saw Red Holloway at a uh like a IAJE convention, you know, mm-hmm. or it may have even been a N A J E NAJE at that time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um and he remembered that gig. Oh, so, really? Yeah. And so then when I went to college uh, in Green Bay, um, my director there, a gentleman named Love Alive, he used to bring in a lot of guests. Remember then, that? Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he brought in at one point uh my freshman year, James Moody. Okay. And then a couple of months after that I got a call cuz James was coming to play Milwaukee this place called the Jazz Showcase mm-hmm. which is uh, not the Jazz the Jazz Gallery which is the same place I had played with with Stitt and uh and Red and uh they said well Moody's coming to Milwaukee and uh you know he wants you to, to do the gig so I went back home and and did the gig. And then
0: I joined Freddie in my senior year of college. Oh wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Um So I'm curious. um, I know this is out there and you've talked about it a lot, but what what led to the Freddie gig?
1: Well, um, okay. so I'll give you an abbreviated version, but I will say at the core of this, I I always like to say that I personally don't believe in coincidences. Mm -hmm. And um, I basically have always been uh, kind of the blend of outgoing, but an introvert, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even today, I don't really go to parties and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm not really comfortable in that environment. But anyway, my first year at William Patterson as a junior, Freddie had come to uh, to New York to play at this club called Fat Tuesdays. And okay. he had a cover story in Downbeat and it said he's coming to New York and he's looking for a young drummer with fire. And I read it. And mind you, I was not really someone who really read Downbeat. Right. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I read that that article mm-hmm. and I had gone to see him and I went up and I introduced myself and I said, you know, Mr. Hubbard, I I read your article. And you say you're looking for a young drummer with fire. I play drums and just moved out. And I think I have fire. Well, that was not like me to be that forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he said, uh, he said, well, where do you live? I said, Oh, OK. You know, my man, Stanley, I said, Stanley, who? Turrentine, you know, Stanley. I said, well, I mean, I know who he is, but I don't know him. He said, all right, well, give me a number, and I'm, I'm going to have him call you. he let me know if you can play. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, you get another school year. What do you do? You pay your tuition. And, you know, and then I bought some new records. I mean, bought some new drums, and I bought every Freddie Hubbard record I could find. Yeah. And I never got the call from Stanley or Freddie. So mm-hmm. the following summer, I'm back in Milwaukee playing this club called uh, the Bombay Bicycle Room. It was inside the Mark Plaza Hotel. Had a steady five night a week gig there with a singer named Penny Goodwin, and um, (coughs) last tune of the set, I just happened to look in the doorway to my right, and Freddie Hubbard standing in the doorway. Oh man, he was playing. He was staying at the hotel, and he was playing in town with this group called uh, Cool Jazz Festival All Stars. And so I went to the bar afterwards and reintroduced myself. We talked a little bit. And he said, "Yeah, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, all right." And he wasn't trying to. Spend too much time apologizing. He was trying to relax, right? Yeah, sure. And so, you know, he gave me his number and we, you know, okay. So then a month later, I'm on the gig again. I look in the doorway. It was like a movie, man. Freddie Hubbard standing in the doorway. Wow. Nobody comes to Milwaukee twice in a month. Nobody. <laughs> Maybe those who escape from prison, but other than that, nobody that comes to Milwaukee. So he was in town with this other group, VSOP. And, um, oh, yeah. and we talked at the bar. And at this point, you know, I'm young, and a little cocky, and I felt like he owed me something. So I was like, you know, man, you know, I was a little upset that I'm still mad that I hadn't gotten a call. So we talked a little bit, and then he started speaking as if he was the third person. He said, so, well, let me ask you, how would you like to play with Freddie Hubbard? <laughs> I said, well, man, you know, it'd be cool. I said, but, you know, we 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 need to kind of talk about some things. He's like, well, what? I said, well, you know, man, I just I heard stories about you, man. I heard stories about you kicking cash drums off the stage. And I said, man, if you I'm just telling you, if you ever kick my drums off stage, we're gonna rumble. And he looked at me, he said, Yeah? I said, Yeah, we're gonna rumble. Well, what else? I said, Well, <laughs> sorry, better, that's party, man. He said, You just <laughs> I said, You just better respect me as a man and pay me all my money on time. He said, Yeah, what else? I said, uh, well, that's it. You just make sure your people call me, right? He said, All right. He said right give me your number again. I said, okay. And then I walked out of the club. I got in the car and then it was like I had a meltdown. I was like, Man, what did I just say? It wasn't it was like it wasn't even me talking. <laughs> yeah, right. And um <clears throat> but a couple of days later his manager called. Oh really? You know, Freddie's going to Europe and Japan, he'll be back, you know, six weeks, but the first date is uh it's November twelfth, you know, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Can you make it? I'm like, yeah, I can make it. Yeah. So, um, but I'll tell you, you know, uh, and I stayed with him for eight years to the day. And I remember several months into after being in the band, we were just talking and hanging, and I really didn't feel like I deserved to be in the band musically. But I said, Freddie, I said, um, I, I got to ask you, man. All the people you play with, I said, what? Why did you hire me? He said, you want to know why? I said, yeah. He said, remember that conversation we had in that club in Milwaukee about the drums and paying you and all of that? I said, yeah. And I was about to apologize. He says, uh, that's why I hired you. You can stand up for yourself. I appreciate that. Wow. I was like, that's right. You still better pay me all my money. on
0: <laughs> We had a right. nice, little, nice little laugh about it, you know. That's cla- That's a great. You know, one of the thing people things people love about you know talking with when I talk with people is the stories, and the stories are part of history. You know, yeah, really the the essence of this. We can talk about concepts. I love it, musical concepts, approaches, education, all that. But history is like capturing just these kind of things. That's a classic epic story.
1: Yeah, well I'll tell you the, the thing that makes it so fascinating not so much my stories but just stories in general is that <laughs> this is a social art form. And mm-hmm. when you hear the stories you understand how important those relationships are, yeah. you know? And um, and you you start to understand how people had an effect on one another. And it's 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 not much different now than for as far back as I can remember. It's just part of the tradition, you know?
0: Yeah, um, and now this is a totally uh, non-relevant subject, but you and I are almost exactly the same age. Uh, I I have my big birthday coming up June 5th. It's a different, it's a new decade. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And the only so reason I, I say it is because your birthday's on your website, so I know you're cool with it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're April, April 25th, something. April
1: 25th is a global international holiday, 22. so if anybody out here listening go out, trying to go to stores on the 25th and wonder why everything is closed. It's a global international holiday. Everybody's celebrating. Is it? Well, we'll see.
0: No. no. It's Carl Allen Day. It's Carl Allen Day. That's right. I'm going to be 27 again. That's right. That's right. It's going to be, uh, see, I'll be back from Mexico by then. Yeah, i come back the 22nd, 20, It's a Sunday. It's a Sunday, Sunday the 25th, everyone. Yep. Yeah,
1: it's good thing you come back before the twenty fifth because the, air, the airports may even be shut down on that day. So you know,
0: we'll see. Oh man, well you know, um, so I would—I'm curious to know. Playing with Freddie, what was it like, energy wise? I mean, I have a story that I can share with you, but I uh, from somebody else who you know well, I'm sure. But I—I I would love to hear what you say first because what i've heard about working with him is it it could be very intense and i don't even mean between personalities or anything like that just the 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 demand musically oh yeah. uh and the sometimes the volume may maybe being pretty high and but the dynamics and just the intensity yeah. what was it like energy wise and all that um very intense
1: all the time <laughs> and, and and um and, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean Freddie was a very strong, will-determined person with a lot of bravado. Mm-hmm. But what many people don't understand, a lot of that bravado came from him being insecure. You know And you would see this bravado, you're like, "That man is not insecure." But he mm-hmm. was. He was okay. a very insecure person. A lot of times, and I, I love him to death, and, and, and this man changed my life. And so I have nothing but love for him. But I'm just saying, sometimes when you see people who have destructive behavior, a lot of that is coming from a broken place. And part sometimes that broken place is a place of insecurity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the last time I saw him alive, I was at his house for about five hours in L.A. And I'll never forget, he showed me his NEA award, and he started to cry. And I said, Freddie, I, well, I never called him Freddie. I called him Hub. I said, Hub was wrong, man. He said, Carl, you know, I've gotten Grammys and other awards, man, but this means the most to me. Mm. I said, why? He said, man, because the Cats wanted me to have this. And I'm just looking at him like, I, I, I mean, he was like a little kid. He said, Carl, you know, until I got this award, I always thought that people thought my playing was corny. And when oh, I got okay. this, it just told me that people appreciated what I was trying to do. And I just sat there, and I cried to think that this man lived his whole life thinking something like that, because I have never in my life heard anyone say that Freddie Hubbard's playing was corny. Me neither. And if I did, and I saw them in person, they probably would have fewer teeth after that.
0: Yeah. I mean, really, I've never even thought of that as even being in anyone's scope to say anything like that. Yeah. 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 And I just...
1: I couldn't, I couldn't believe he said that. I was like, and I had to have him repeat that to me a few times. I was like, what? I just couldn't comprehend it. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was just, it was unbelievable to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I was talking with, um, here's the reason I brought that up. First of all, I wanted to know about the intensity. I, I get just from listening to him and I have countless on vinyl of him and then, some CDs, not many, a lot of vinyl. And, uh, you know, through the years from the Blue Note era in the 60s, some of the classic stuff through the Keystone Corner, I think, and other Mm -hmm. stuff coming up right Mm -hmm. towards the end, basically. Um, And you're on a lot of it. And uh, I was talking with Jeff Watts and I believe, I know it was in Chicago somewhere. He ended up doing a gig with freddie and i'm pretty sure it was wayne shorter just a one week stint and it was first time playing with freddie and the way he described it was interesting he said uh he said that first night i felt like i got my ass handed to me (laughs) because the demand from them i don't know if mccoy was on piano I, i can't remember i just know it was freddie and i'm pretty sure wayne shorter And he says, you know, even the review in the paper next day said, well, looks like Watts might be a little out of his element. And he Mm -hmm. said, okay, I saw that review and I got upset. I got to raise my own bar. He said, by the end of the week, the review was good in the paper and I felt like I was delivering, but it was intense and uh, it was a beautiful thing though, the way he described it as a beautiful intensity.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, you know, so and not not to get into a you know young versus old thing, but one of the things that a lot of the younger musicians I think are missing, having not seen or played with that generation uh-huh. of what it's like to be on the bandstand with someone whose life was all about the music for years, yeah, you know, because many of them for a long time they weren't really making much money, so it wasn't about that. And it wasn't about, you know, it was just about the music. And with Freddie, you know, this is a guy, this is a guy who played with Train, played with everybody, right? So yeah. you know, I, I just think about uh for instance, Freddie was a huge basketball fan. Okay. And he really loved the, he loved the Lakers if it was basketball season and I knew the Lakers were playing and we were off, I knew where to catch him. He was at home and watching TV with his Fender Rhodes set up in front of the piano. I mean, in front of the TV. He's playing Fender Rhodes while watching the Lakers. Oh. Guaranteed. Uh If He was off and the Lakers were on, he was at home watching the Lakers while playing piano. Uh And so I say that because when we talk about the intensity, there was no on and off switch. It was just always music and going on. Now, the irony of it, I remember going to his house a couple of times when he lived in Hollywood Hills. And then one time I had gone over and I said, Freddie, man, I, I don't really know how I should take this. He said, what? He said, I said, man, this is like my third or fourth time to your house. Go me, make myself at home. You know, you give me a tour of the room or the house and Briggy, his wife, give me a tour, blah, blah, blah. I'm hanging out by the pool, and I haven't seen your music room yet. He said, "Carl, what are you talking about? Because I didn't see any records in the house, right?" I said, "Your music room? Like, where you listen to records? Where you keep all your records and stuff?" He said, "Carl, I don't keep records in the house." I'm like, "What? It's no, I don't listen to records at home. I listen to the radio." I was like, "What? Wow! Right? It just it floored me." Because guys, of that there are a couple of guys on that level that I met that only wanted to deal with music on their terms. That's how personal it was. I see. Yeah, a- another person like that for me was Jackie McLean. Because when okay. I first joined Jackie, I was so excited, and I always wanted to know what it was like with him playing with Donald Byrd and Art and all these different people and Tony yeah. when Tony was seventeen. And every time I would ask Jackie about music, Jackie would his answer would have something to do with boxing. Oh. And I was, it threw me. I was like, now I noticed he, you know, during the day he was always looking in boxing magazines and, you know, reading boxing magazines. And I would say, man, so when you and Donald Byrd were playing together, man, a lot, what what was that like? He said, man, Pernell Whitaker's gonna kill that boy tonight. (laughs) Another time I would say, so when you were with Boo, Y'all used to drive everywhere. What was that like? He said, "Man, Mike Tyson, he ain't he ain't as tough as he used to be." But it's just like I felt like I missed something. You know, how am I getting these answers? I oh, don't, I don't, what, what are you talking about? Right? Interesting. And um, and then his wife said, "You know, Carl, Jackie's only gonna talk about music if he feels like it." I was like, man, I wish someone had told me because I was ready to go lay on somebody's couch and pay some money. (laughs) I thought I was a (laughs) breakdown or something, you know. (laughs) But um but no man, that was that was a lot of guys like that, man. It was the music was just that intense for them that they had to find a way to manage how they and when they dealt with it.
0: Interesting. You know, so the boxing thing is really interesting. I know quite a few musicians, jazz musicians, into boxing. And I'm really lucky because back from maybe – oh, Joe Locke is here. What's up, Joe? Joe says, love you, Carl Allen. Joe, you're the man, my friend. I'll talk with you one of these days. We have, uh, so actually, let's take a break. I, I, saw, on a re- I saw him with that purple
1: suit on, and I know uh, I know where he got it from, too.
0: Thanks for hipping me, he says. Ah, that's cool, man. (laughs) Joe Locke. Man, I love that guy. Holy crap. Joe Locke is here. My friend Angeles in uh, Monterey, Mexico. Bienvenido, mi amiga. Como está? Como está, Sophie y Ernesto? Um, Brian Kirk. Do you know Brian Kirk? Absolutely. Brian Kirk says, Freddie Hubbard told his dad, Willis, Kirk, I'm imagining. that you were by far freddie's favorite drummer yes sir
1: and brian yeah brian told me that before man he told me that before it made me cry man it really did
0: i can understand why that's heavy yeah that's real heavy um especially with what you just told me about freddie and how he manages music and he thought his playing might have been corny i mean that's that's heavy yeah. Uh, who else is with us? We have uh, Giovanni Pagano, who's a friend of mine. Um, we have some other, and then also on the chat here we have uh, Antonio, is asking how is the recording with Renee Ros- Rosnes? Renee Rosnes. That was a Rene record.
1: Yeah. Chris Potter and Christian McBride. I did a record with wow. her last week. And uh, My
0: favorites, man. Holy. Was, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I saw that post. And yeah, it's with Christian and. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, it was just—it incredible, man, because it, the funny thing is many of us
1: were um, were nervous because we hadn't been playing, right? But Rini is such a brilliant musician and composer, and she wrote all of this beautiful music that had never been played before. And uh, oh, man, it was it was really, it, I needed it. It would just really cleanse my soul. It challenged me. But I loved it. It was a lot of fun, and I think it'll be out like the end of August, early September.
0: Okay, that's great. Yeah, I'll have to get that because uh, when I saw the lineup, even though I was not familiar with Reenie, it doesn't matter. That's how I discover new people, though. Oh, Carl Allen's Allenson. Oh, Chris Potter. Holy oh, Chris Maguire. Oh, okay, here we go. Let me tell you how brilliant she is, just just briefly. Okay, so mm-hmm.
1: she, you know, she played with Joe Henderson. She played with JJ. She played with a lot of people. And, um, but, uh, she just has a way of playing the instrument that just, you hear the history of the instrument. You hear her influences come through when she plays oh, and you know, crazy. she's one of these people, man, her ears are just, if you do like that, she'll tell you what chord it was. You uh-huh. can do like this and say, oh, oh, that was a, well, it was a F, it was a F sharp, but it was a little flat. You're like, what? you know she's got crazy ears right yeah yeah She's, she's she's brilliant
0: that's great i can't wait to hear that yeah when i saw the lineup uh that was just it's a given you have to have that one i've seen christian in various situations and chris potter in other situations and then the three of you together with her is great um well i want to go back to uh let's see just a million thoughts just hyper focus here that's why i teach people all the time focus (laughs) so one of the things that uh i i love is your approach i mean from what i know of it is about educating because uh, you know i watch i've watched uh, i spent a lot of hours watching you on youtube playing um delivering concepts ideas education you're you're a great educator. And again, bravo on this position and you're well deserved because you're the man for the job, you know, thank you You can help to lead others and, uh, and, and crank out some great education. But one of the things I love that you talk about is, uh, something I learned a long time ago that I just decided to be a rebel and not do it, which was ridiculous is to sing the head while you play. Oh Yeah. I mean, there was a drummer here who who passed away a few years ago, George Reed. Um, George might have been 90, 91, ninety-one, two when he passed, but he's the first one to tell me that forty-something years ago. And he would sing it while he was playing on a gig. It didn't matter. Yeah, it was kind of interesting too because you'll have like, you know, Elvin had the growl, you know, and Herbie growls a lot. Yeah, right. And and Jimmy Haslip, what he's playing, Jimmy's a good friend. And he, Keith Jarrett has his own thing he does. But then there's also uh um, O'Brien says congratulations, Professor Carl Allen. Yeah, seriously. Okay. But then they've got the ones who sing the head, you know, Wilby Fletcher. I don't know if you ever knew Wilby. Sure, sure. Because he was living here in Syracuse on and off for years. So we used to get yeah. together and hang, and he made me he made me sing the head. So you don't sing the head, get out. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, yeah. okay. I I saw you with McCoy love you i'll do whatever you say you know what that actually changed everything for me so can you elaborate just a little bit on that and what that means to you and what you're trying to get across to others
1: well the importance of the okay so the the basis of it is that i i feel like everyone has a role to play either you're playing the melody or you're supporting the melody and if you're not doing either you're probably getting in the way drummers we get in the way a lot and Partially because many of us don't know the melody, right? We just playing stuff that we think is slick, but if it's not supporting what's going on around you, it's kind of like you, you slant, saying some slick words, but it's not really appropriate for the conversation that's taking place at that moment. Right. Yeah. So knowing the melody is just, is, is, is very important because you just have. To... And um, for instance, um, I had a, a, a lesson with a, a student earlier today, and we were working on this this, this tune, this McCoy tune, Blues on the Corner.
0: And oh, I love said, that. Sing,
1: I said, sing the melody. He said, I can't, I can't sing the melody. So he played it in a way where it, it could have been T for two. I don't know. You just couldn't hear the melody. So I said, okay, I want you to hear the melody. So he couldn't sing the melody, but when he played it the second time, I could hear that he was hearing the melody. Okay. Because what he was playing was supporting what would have been the melody. All right. It's just, to me, it's important to be able to play the melody so that you can understand how you're going to orchestrate and support those around you. And see, so for drummers, I just think it's important to be able to play the ride cymbal while singing the melody or playing the melody. For bass players, you should be able to walk the changes and sing the melody. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, because part of the function of the bass line is to support the melody, right? Now I'm talking about in a straight-ahead jazz situation. You know, if you're right. playing, you know, bluegrass or purple grass whatever, it might not be, you know, mm-hmm. might not apply. But I'm just saying. Um, so again, understanding what it is, so that you can all, because to me, when we play music, we're having a conversation. And I think you have a, a more intelligent conversation if everyone who's involved in the conversation is familiar with the subject matter. Brilliant. And the melody is the subject matter. I'm the not song- sure anyone
0: could have ever said it better than that, what well, you just said just now. Oh, thank you. Understanding the subject matter. By the way, Marcus is with us. Marcus Sroge. Oh, hey, Marcus. Marcus, thanks for joining, man um yeah this this is um well you know i mean it all makes sense i'm kind of so i just found out last year this is totally off the point but this is also kind of a joke i was a breach baby i was born backwards this is this is a fact okay and guess what i've done everything in my life backwards and i understand music now better than i ever did wow (laughs) not because i'm older because I started trying to be advanced fusion and no well, I know I won't mention any names, but I had a lot of fusion influences. I love them all still. Mm-hmm. However, I didn't even get into miles till I was like 17. And then I heard Tony. And then I went so I went backwards in time very slowly yeah. from the 70s, weather well, port, Mahavishnu, Return of Forever, Headhunters to back eventually to the 60s. Hmm. And a, a way eventually later to the 50s and then even later to like you know baby dodds and Sid Catless, some of these other ones who i just really honestly just recently kind of yeah well because jeff watson dennis chambers told me you got to check them out you got to yeah. know where it came from i said okay i will <laughs> and i did and you know what it really helped me to build a better foundation at 60 years old That yeah. i i went backwards but I guess the reason I'm saying that is because what you just said is so eloquently put about understanding the subject matter, Mm -hmm. which is something I completely missed, even with a lot of great teachers. I just, I'm a slow learner. I get it now, sort of. Well,
1: I wouldn't even say a slow learner. You just learn differently.
0: Right. Uh, That, yeah, actually that's a fact too. Very much so. It's just different. But see. But when you
1: make that, and I respect your, 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 process or your your opinion of that i only say that because sometimes when we start to process assessments of ourselves a certain way uh not that you're doing this we we sometimes see it as being less than something else right Mm -hmm. i'll tell you man when we talk about education one of the things that helped me tremendously was um reading a book by a woman by the name of Cynthia Tobias. And the name of the book is called The Way We Learn. Oh. And the the premise of the book, and then there was another book called The Way We the Way We Teach and, you know, but the premise of the book really kind of highlights some of the challenges that we have with the educational system here in America because they're all based on these molds and models. Mm-hmm. And so teachers will have a model that the way that they teach And if you, the student, do not fit in that mold or that model, then there's something wrong with you.
0: Yeah, isn't that true? Mm -hmm.
1: As opposed to everybody learns different. Now, um, it became very personal for me, my son, who's now 27, when he was four, uh, had him in in a school, private school, whatever. And I remember I would get phone calls from the school uh, saying, you know, we, we really need to, uh, you know, we Jordan is acting out. And so this went on for a while. And then they said, look, we, 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 you know, we, we really would like for you to have him test it. We think maybe there's some challenges, right? He's four.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I said, like, what do you have in mind? Well, we, we want you to have him for six months with a speech pathologist and a child psychologist. And so I said, Yeah, okay, we'll we'll do that. And we go back at the end of the six months, and we're all around this table with the headmaster and the teachers and the two doctors that they recommended. And they said, Dr. Davis, Dr. Quilden, what, what are your findings? And they look at each other, and they just start laughing. And they said, Why are you laughing? They said, there's nothing wrong with him. The problem and the challenge rather, is that he's four, but he has the IQ of a seven-year-old? So he's mm-hmm. acting out because he's bored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All of the stuff that uh, that you guys are trying to teach him, he apparently did that a couple of years ago. And this is a private school that I'm paying crazy money for. And at that point, I was like, okay, let's go. Right. But my point again is that, you know, not to take a detour, but so often that happens. And so once I got hip to that and read this book and did some other research it made, I think, made me a better educator because you start to understand that people learn differently, especially yes. in the arts. Yes. Right? You know, and, and I think uh, as a society, we're just now starting to really embrace that. They're starting to do away with standardized testing and so many other things because they realize, you know, not everyone tests well. and doesn't mean that they're not... They learn
0: differently it's, it's yeah you, you know one thing i noticed last year is um, during the this pandemic especially in what i think is probably the most difficult part last year i mean we're still in a, a difficult time but starting to come around i think but they did away with some standardized testing to get into colleges and right. so not every place i guess i don't really know but I mean, I had a similar situation with my son, who's very successful now and doing extremely well, very focused. Mm-hmm. He was bored when he was four, five, six, seven, eight years old. And until he got to high school, he was in trouble. Not bad, like legal stuff, just, you know, principal office con, Mr. Sterling. Yeah. No. <laughs> we needed, he was just bored. Yeah. But this whole thing about learning, and I'm still learning. About more about myself and how I learn, but also trying to learn how others who people I help in my neurorehabilitation, how do they process? Mm -hmm. Because I want to match them as closely as I can to their best learning modality. And there's always more to learn about teaching and learning. But I'm curious in your business, in, in the music business, do you have a, a, a way of going about, let's say, assessing how somebody learns? Do you, do you try to somewhat tailor a, a class or, or situation or a lesson to, uh, I mean, lessons one-on-one, you can probably do a lot different. But if you're in a class situation, classroom, how do you deal with different learning modalities? Oh,
1: well, you know, for me, the basic premise is that you try to meet people where they are. And then you try to think about what is the end goal? In other words, what is it that you would like for them to have learned when this class is over, whether it's a one-hour class or 16 weeks, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that you have to, because part of the beauty and the challenge of teaching is that you have to find multiple ways to be able to get the same point across, you know. And so some people are more visual, some people are more auditory. I mean, some people hear it and they'll get it, you know and um so I, it's about trying to get to know each individual and sometimes that just comes from having conversation yeah okay you know i mean i remember i had a student a couple of years ago and uh her mom was explaining to me which was really a, a challenge that uh because i had not encountered it that when when her daughter would hear music it would she would see colors
0: oh yeah right
1: you know and um because up until then i this is a couple of weeks in i couldn't understand why she would never have the assignments ready you know mm-hmm. and then once i got that information then of course my approach changed you know
0: right right and
1: um and uh, and very talented student you know but you know the thing that makes me feel bad is that when people who learn differently and i'm not even going to say they have challenges let's just they, they, and they're in environments where that that's sensitive <clears throat> excuse me that sensitivity is not there you know a person can easily be labeled or and kind of pushed aside you know and this yeah there's so many talented people who kind of fall to the to the wayside because of not being in a an, in an, uh, supportive environment
0: well you know um, and I'm sorry looking around here there's a book I wanted to show you I'm wondering if you oh here it is so uh probably about a third of the work i've done the past well 11 years now since i i I haven't played a live gig in seven plus years but it was gradually that was all i did before as a musician and and it it was great but now i'm I'm actually trying to tie music rhythm rhythms uh maybe even polyrhythms into what i do movement wise because my clientele Is a higher risk of falling parkinson's movement disorders but also about a third of the work or so that i do with uh i want to be respectful when i say this but it really has to do uh working with people who are let's say somewhere on the spectrum if you will um the spectrum now is different than it used to be like asperger's is no longer technically recognized as a thing um the john the gentleman who wrote this book john rady as mm. a Harvard Medical School professor, um, who I've gotten to know, he's written quite a few best selling books, but he talks about the autism spectrum disorder. Well, not the but autism ASD is aut- autism spectrum disorder. So when you get on to, let's say into the, the very broad spectrum now, mm-hmm. because there's so many people who fall within it somewhere, maybe I am a little bit, I don't know. But there's a lot of research now that shows like the Einstein factor came out, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. This book it's really cool. It talks about people who see colors when they hear music. Well, that they fall somewhere in this spectrum. It doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And they like, you know, society likes to label them. Medical mm-hmm. worlds like to label them, but we're always people first. Mm-hmm. We're not right. a diagnosis. Right. You know, if you have, God forbid it happens, you have Parkinson's, you have cancer. You aren't Parkinson's. You aren't cancer. You right. are Carl Allen, right. who lives with something. Same right. thing with autism. But this book here has been really, really cool. Um, it's really like a textbook. I can shoot oh. it to you in an email or something. Yeah, the Handbook of Neurologic Music Therapy, not your normal music therapy as we know it Yeah. taught in schools. And this talks so much about how this kind of like segueing in my long-winded way of this music and rhythm and what it can do to change brain chemistry it can actually change yeah the hormones and the uh the in there are different ways you can be listening to it you can be moving with it walking mm-hmm. with it dancing with it you can be creating it by yourself you can be creating it with a group yeah and all of those lead to this brain chemistry change changes on various levels which could is actually can be very healthy yeah. Oh, actually it is very healthy according to the research that book is 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 a textbook. It's not just a read. But they talk about about finally I'm getting to my point. Learning in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. So, have you had experience working let's say with any um I always want to be politically correct special populations if you will. Let's say it's learning disability or autism.
1: Um other than it's five in o'clock. a private lesson, something like that I me in a master class, um, I, I remember a couple, several years ago now uh, when I was teaching at this other school, we did a jazz camp for the YMCA, I believe, in Washington DC. And I remember we would be in a master class in the middle of the class, you would see two or three kids just get on the floor and start rolling around. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And of course we later found out that they were, you know, dealing with some challenges, but you know, the parent didn't say anything or anything. And I, I later realized they didn't say anything because they were probably afraid we would not accept them into the camp, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, um, but you know, it, it, uh, you just learn to treat them like everybody else and maybe give them some other things to do with some special attention or but but um I mean like you said it's just just people.
0: Yeah, I, I was talking with somebody in, in of all places in Bolivia today. Um people all over the world. Ah, one of my favorite people and musicians is here, Mark, Mr. Ma, Mark Mondeser. Oh Mark, Mark how you doing, Jared, man? Phone. I owe you a phone call, brother. I I I'm spacing out. I told your brother, Michael, that I would uh we were gonna connect. I promise this week. Mark is a man of uh just he's so wonderful as a human and such a great absolutely player.
1: I haven't seen him in so long. Great to great to see you online, my friend.
0: Wow man, I hope you're doing well, Mark. Uh I finally back to his full schedule of post-COVID and long hauler COVID stuff, and I am slammed. But I am going to make time, we'll talk. I owe him big time. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I met him. <laughs> Many, many years ago. One of my first trips to Europe with Freddie
0: in London. What a sweet man. What a, a real gentleman. What a great human. Yeah. So I'm yeah. glad you're here, Mark. Uh, yeah, you will hear from me. Well, it's interesting, you know, because we're we are we're always people first. And I hate to see people diagnosed and people treated. I don't mean special. Like, some people don't need some extra help or anything in any way, you know. But to, it's just... Hard for me to say sometimes, but you know, talk to me like I'm a person, I think is what they would appreciate. Yeah. Well, you know, you
1: know w- without that level of sensitivity or insight, it's like one is living their life as if they're perfect. Yeah. And that's why, you know, some of the terminology is a bit painful when you say, oh, something's wrong with that person or they something, you know, it's like, well, what makes you right? <laughs>
0: you but yeah. Know? They want to fix us because we're broken. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Are you broken? No, we're, you're, you're human. You're wired up a certain way. And that's the, way take, let's, take, let's take the most out of all the talents you have. Cause you probably have so many talents, you know, I mean, yeah. we all do. We just yeah. have to find them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd like to, if, if you have time, I I'm free for a little while longer. I was wondering if, if maybe you want to share a little bit about what you're doing now, what any projects you're working on, Things like that anything uh, I want to make sure people go to your website that's really important carl dot yeah. com
1: yeah, so right now it boy it's just so much stuff going on right now it's just you know i don't really i I refer to the pandemic now as a as a reset, and that's what I have made a decision to use it as as an opportunity to reset you know and um we've all seen the devastation you know we all know someone who was sick or who died from it or whatever i mean just today or just yesterday and then i got a confirmation today that one of my students tested positive for covid for a second time Uh, you don't hear that very often right uh, um this person had it in january and then they tested again yesterday for it you know but anyway um you know when this all started i just said you know i just I I just want to be better when it's over man so I just use this as an opportunity to reset you know just to take care of myself what can I control okay so I can sleep better now I can eat better now I can work out I can lose some weight I can I can read some books all of the things that I'm always talking about I wish I had time to do that I didn't have time because Mm -hmm. nothing else COVID gave us time right that's for sure so um but that and you know and practicing more and and writing and and um you know just trying to be ready for when this stuff starts to open up again so um so musically there's a lot of things that i'm working on in terms of projects for instance when everything got shut down i had tours coming up with this Art blakey tribute project that i had yeah but some yeah. of that will be rebooked for later this fall and, and early next year there's other stuff uh some other tours with Christian McBride and Benny Golson and some other stuff that I'll do. Oh, cool. That's been rebooked. And then um, I have another project that I was starting to do in the fall that got pushed uh, called Full Circle. And that project is really about just celebrating the concept of Full Circle, which is okay, I'm on the other side of 27 now. So it's like it's now my responsibility to try to help some of the younger musicians come along. And that's still in that spirit of Art Blakey. And so this project is really about maybe having one other old fuddy dud like me in the band. And then the rest is going to be the jazz babies, you know, to try to help create opportunities for them.
0: That's great. And then,
1: And then since I accepted this position in Kansas city and it won't start until August, I've been really, really busy reviewing curriculum and writing new curriculum and, you know, some initiatives and other, other things that I'm planning for the program. So that's, uh, even when i'm not uh supposed to be doing that that's what i'm doing and then you know i've become like
0: very very close friends with zillow as i'm looking ah. where i'm gonna live you know well that was a question actually in one of the feeds here you're going to move to kansas city i will have a place in kansas city okay you can't do it remotely yeah. and
1: um you know for now I'll i'll go back and forth but You know, I would imagine the majority of my time will be there. And then, of course, coming back to New York because I'll keep my place here. And then I'll still be touring, you know, whatever touring there will be at that time. So I I really don't see it much different than when times were normal in the sense of the balance between when I'm home um, versus when I'm touring. Okay. You know, it's just that where I open my suitcase will, will probably be a little different. From before, sure.
0: Marcus says
1: did some some great cigar shops. Yeah, you saw got, that. Yeah, okay, cool. Man. If it didn't have great cigar shops, I wasn't going there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's in the contract, baby. That's right. That's right. Um, how about um, are you? So you're in New York City. Are you right in the in the city, one of the boroughs? Are I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, cool. Prospect okay. nice.
1: Yeah,
0: awesome. Uh, I you know I used to go to New York City, literally like. Well, gigs a long time ago but actually uh, just teaching and working with my mm. business like once twice a month for years. I haven't wow. been there in 2 years cuz 2 years ago I had some health problems. Uh it prevented me from traveling. Wound up in a uh, flew into Singapore with massive DVT, 10-inch solid blood clot in my okay. left, you know, popliteal vein. Hospital was great, they speak English and got the work done, but came home and stayed home. I'm ready to go back out. Not that you need to know this, but it's, it's, but it has been two years. Last wow. time I went there, I went to see, um, Osnoy with Jimmy Haslett. maybe because mainly it was Jimmy's a friend of mine. And, um, Dave Weckle was playing and went to the Uridium and then came home and that was it. But I can't wait to get back there. Yeah. And well, so, I'll,
1: I'll it. you know, it's, it's funny. I haven't been on the subway in, in over a year, but, um, just, just I just remember last week when I was driving home from the studio, uh, driving through Times Square, how much has changed? Because I haven't been in that area for over a year. I heard and, it's really quiet right now there. It's very quiet, but also there are more street, permanent street closures. Oh. I don't know if they happened before COVID or during COVID. I don't know. But I'm just saying New York, for quite some time, is starting to look very different from, say, years ago. And I think with this pandemic, it's even more so, you know, just stuff
0: is just different. Yeah.
1: And stuff we're going and seeing all these boards on the stores. It's very different to see.
0: Right. Right. I've heard that from some of my friends who live there too. Um, Well, just a couple more questions. uh, If you have a second. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, I didn't, we, so folks, we didn't discuss anything beforehand because I do a lot better if I don't think have to think too much and I go with the flow (laughs) Mm -hmm. or my improvisation, I guess. Do you have any particular story gig music related or, or not, but uh, music probably just maybe one of your most favorite situations musically or favorite gigs or experiences or just something that stands out that you'll just never, ever forget ever.
1: Well, there are quite
0: a few. Um, hmm. Well, they might
1: be kind of boring for most people. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll just tell you the two two first that come to my sure my mind because it's it's a lot of them.
0: People love this stuff though. They they love to hear these things, so it will not be boring. Just so you know.
1: The, the first time I played "A Night in Tunisia" with Dizzy was like surreal. Oh, it had to be. You know, and like playing uh blues march or i remember clifford with benny golson it's just you know when you think about it, you grew up listening to these records look reading the liner notes and looking at mobile covers and now you're playing that song with that person who wrote it it's just imagine like that. an out-of-body
0: experience you know well that i can completely appreciate that uh that's just yeah i can only imagine what that would be like um and by the way marcus um, he was asking how you got the gig with Freddie. Margus, um, we talked about that. So I will post this on YouTube by tomorrow and post the link and I'll tag you so you can hear that story. It's a really great story. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'll,
1: I'll tell you uh, 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 another time shortly after coming to New York, I was walking down Man- some street in Manhattan and I see across the way Billy Higgins. Oh God! And I, and I go and I approach him, and you know, Mister Higgins, I'm just a fan. And blah 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 blah. And he said he had heard of my name before. So he said, well, "What are you doing right now?" I said, "I'm just, I'm just walking around." He said, "You're hungry?" I'm like, "Yeah." He said, okay, "Come on, let's go get something to eat." So we went to a Chinese restaurant, and I just remember. I just kept staring at him and he would look, let me say, eat man, eat, you know, cause I just kept looking at him. I didn't, I was just so nervous. And so he said, you got a question, right? I said, yeah. He said, all right, go ahead. Ask a question. So he's eating the soup. And I said, you know, Mr. Higgins, how do you, how do you have like longevity in the business? And he, he stops eating the soup. He looks up for a minute. He says, um, uh, Drink plenty of water. I said, What? He said it helps keep you regular. Drink plenty of water. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man. That's classic, man. But I remember shortly after that, in that conversation, he was just saying, Listen, you know, you know, he said, one of the problems I have with a lot of younger guys is that they become too selective about the gigs. He said, Right now nobody knows who you are. You need to take every gig you can get. He Uh said, even the worst gig, he says, it's better than laying bricks.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I said, laying bricks. And then, you know, I figured out what he was talking about. But, yeah, it was just, you know, just, he was just such a beautiful, kind man. And I would love
0: to have seen him. I I didn't have that. uh, That was, I never saw him. Yeah. I just, look, I'm glad I got to see all who I have seen, you know, and a lot of that was Chicago or driving to New York. You know roy and tony and elvin and so you grew up in chicago no and i grew up in syracuse okay when were you in chicago i i was there 82 to uh
1: 84. so maybe this is around the tail and i'm not sure when he passed did you know wilbur campbell
0: no from chicago
1: from chicago yeah what do he you have Passed by then i'm not sure but he was a he was, you know, great, great, great drummer in, in Chicago.
0: You know. Uh now I c I I can't say that I knew him or, or of him. There were some really good players in Chicago. Jeez. I mean, you know, I mean, of course, it's Chicago, it's a big city, yeah. but yep. uh Robert Shy was another one. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, the drummer you know, used
1: to come to come to Milwaukee and do so all of the gigs uh joel spencer
0: oh yeah that name i know because i used to go up to milwaukee all the time
1: yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well i won't say it on air but i had a few experiences in milwaukee okay (laughs) good ones i remember remember most of them
1: that's good that's good
0: (laughs) man that's 40 years ago almost um Yeah, you know, it's interesting how it's sad, though, in some ways, but people like you move forward, you find ways, you make the best out of situations, how how things have changed so much. You know, the gigging scene altogether, even pre-COVID was different. Uh, Touring has been different Mm -hmm. for people, Uh, but the the local scene has definitely been, uh, in a lot of places, just, it's not what it was not that it should be what it was but i miss the days where gigs where you can go out every night of the week and see somebody yeah. great yeah you know, just like one of my idols is playing at the iridium tonight or you know joe siegel's like match roads i remember seeing max <clears throat> there with cecil bridgewater odian pope odian pope yep i love him i interviewed him years ago on a radio thing i used to do up at the university what a blast um, yeah. and I can't remember the bass player's name, maybe a U Banks. Tyrone, oh, Tyrone Brown, maybe, yeah. But it was just so cool to go and see, and you know, Max will come out, bring his hi hat out in front, and then do the yeah. hi hat thing, yeah. Did you yeah. know Max? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: How about Roy? Did you get to hang with Roy ever?
1: Absolutely, Elvin? many, many times. Wow man. I mean when I came to town in 81 all of those guys were you know were still around. Yeah. Philly Joe, Max Elvin, Roy, wow. you know, Art Taylor, Higgins, you know, Cobb of course. Yeah. Lewis, Tony. You man. Know, Just What uh, about Tootie uh, he,
0: Tootie's still around, you know? But Yeah, yeah. It just got me thinking of the Mickey Roker oh man i remember mickey too i actually saw him in chicago with somebody i can't remember who but you know elvin was cool like i mean i could go on and on and so could you even more so because you knew him but when i f- saw elvin the first time he got off a set it was at the regatta bar in boston mm. you ever been there you played there happens, yeah in the charles, charles- hotel yep. right so charnett Moffat's on bass i think pretty sure and uh, i don't know who else was in the band but he comes out in front. He's just standing there. He's got the big smile and the grin, and I walk up to him. I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, Mr. Jones, uh, I don't even know what to say, so I'm going to say two things. I love you, and thank you. Oh, man. Give me a hug. He gives me the elven hug. And you're drenched with sweat. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, who was I talking with recently said that, that, that the same thing, is, your drenched with sweat, it's like you just did the gig, not him, right? Yep. Yep. You're all drenched with sweat, and I held my tears back until I said goodbye, and then I went out in the courtyard there over by the restaurant place, yep. the seafood place, and I cried. And I called one of my best friends here and said, dude, Elvin just hugged me. <laughs> wow, wow. I'm never going to take a shower again. I mean... <laughs> It was just, uh, it was a moment I'll never forget. Ever. Well,
1: see, was... When you were talking about the intensity of Freddie Hubbard, you know, that was a time where you did not leave the bandstand dry. Ah, I, never, yeah. I never saw Elvin Higgins, Art, Art Taylor, none of those guys. When you've left the bandstand, you drenched. Mm-hmm you know, and uh, that was just what it was, because you just left everything on the bandstand, mm-hmm. you No, know? I- I'll never forget, man, I was playing this club called Bradley's in New York, um, <clears throat> and uh, Elvin used to always just call me Alan, so he had come and he sat in, and they didn't have a stage, so the drums just on the floor, kind of pushed up against the piano, and Elvin is playing, he's like, Alan, I like the drums, but they won't stay still because as <laughs> soon as he hit the bass drum, the drums just go sliding, you know? But album was really something, man. He was really, really something.
0: Well, You know, one of my favorite uh, conversations with him that I've seen uh, might be in that documentary. I don't know. There was one done in the early 80s. I think it was uh, during the Joe Farrell, Steve Grossman band kind of thing that he had those guys in. I, I can't remember exactly, but the interviewer actually he he did his best he wasn't necessarily the greatest interviewer but neither am i so the guy's talking and he's uh mr jones uh, you know um it just seems like sometimes when you do force that you come in like a little after one sometimes on you know and elvin just looks he's like yeah man well you know some force take longer than others. <laughs> That's oh, Mark is saying a different drummer. That might be where it is. Mark, yeah, came out in seventy-seven. <clears throat> That's what I yeah, thought that, you were talking about. That might be you it. <clears throat> and,
1: and and Alvin was talking about how every drummer symbol has a color. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I never. When I first heard that, I was in high school, and he was talking about how. Yeah. And. This one is yellow and this one is red. If I hit them together, I get orange. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my god! What up, man? I I love these stories. I love uh, I love him. I just you know only met him the one time, and man. I just my heart goes out to him and so much you and Freddie and Train. I, my god, the list goes on and on because their your hearts come through the music. It's, it's just but I'll I, say you, I, when I I'll listen say to Carl Allen, I get the real Carl Allen delivered to me through the music. When I listen to Elvin, that's authenticity, man, and it's just it's a beautiful thing. It's so special.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I, I say in almost every interview I do that you won't find I've not yet found a stronger community in music that exists than that between drummers and. In- came aware of you were watching the, the thing that you did with Tane, you know and um but see you mentioned something earlier you mentioned Tane, and you mentioned uh jeff Cham- uh, uh jeff i mean uh, dennis chambers two really good friends of mine yeah and those two guys man are really really deep not only are they master musicians but their knowledge and depth about the music goes so much further. Beyond what people associate them with, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll talk to 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 Dennis, and we we'll talk about Elvin the whole time. I mean, like in depth. Yeah, see, people see Dennis. Oh, he's the funk fusion guy. that can, yes, but he's much more than that.
0: Yeah, totally. And,
1: and guys don't know. I'm sure you know from from doing an interview with Tane. You know, Tane thought he was going to be a classical tympanist with the New England. You know, uh, pops. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Pops, you know but yeah. uh and he was really kind of more of a fusion funk fusion drummer earlier on mm-hmm. you know but uh both just brilliant musicians man i i like to put them in those categories where they're they're great musicians who just happen to play drums which uh, is i think favorite.
0: that's so appropriate too because i would agree uh i i don't look at carl allen elvin any of any ones as, as what i'm careful about when i post i mean i i want people to know a drummer if i'm going to interview a drummer or a keyboardist or whatever but they're not it's like autism or parkinson's drums don't define who you are you just happen to play them and people know you for that but look at all the other stuff that's going on that yeah. you do that mark montesay does uh oh yeah taine loves narada michael Walden. yes yeah and look at him you know Tane and mark and you know, i mean the, yeah the depth is that you know that's one of the reasons i find the conversation so interesting because then you start to the the person is revealed for those who only know them or yeah. see them as drummer right oh wait a minute they play piano yeah. oh they were classical this oh they like boxing <laughs> Yeah. Know? it's cool well, but
1: that, that goes back to the social element of the music you know mm-hmm. i mean and one of the reasons that Mark knows that about Tang because they've hung out. Yeah. It ain't just let me text you or let me send you a DM, let me... No. Physical hanging.
0: Yeah, that's the real deal.
1: Sharing a bottle of Pellegrino or whatever the, the bottle of spirits might be, whatever it is, but you hanging. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're talking to three, four in the morning. That's how... These things, that's how those bonds start to happen, man. Yeah. I remember one time, man, back in the 80s, I had gone to the Blue Note, and it was a double bill with Tony Williams and Billy Cobham. And, man, I happened to walk in the club, and there's a corner of some guys that look familiar, and it was Tane, it was was Kenny Washington. It must have been about 17 drummers there. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not like we called each other's hey man meet me at the blue note that just that was the night that everybody just showed up yeah. we were all in the corner together you know wow that kind of stuff man you remember for 50 years man
0: uh those are the most special uh kind of things yeah a uh, uh so mark says miles called jazz social music yeah what it is? yeah the mark has a cool story uh just i'm just gonna mention it real quick i'm sorry he's talking about being, I think, in South America somewhere, a jazz festival, where he's hanging out with, who was it, Mark? It was Tony Williams. All of you had birthdays kind of around the same time, and it was like this, these five drummers hanging out who are all, you know, my heroes, some of my heroes, and uh, late 80s, cool hang. I love, that. like, those kind of situations are so, they're so special, and you're right, I'm old school. I'm going to be 60. It's like, I like the physical hangout, talk, spend hours together, not just text or Zoom or whatever. Hang out. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome, man. Well, you know, maybe somewhere down the road we can do part two because there's a lot yeah. more to talk about.
1: Absolutely. We gotta do that at some point. You're but you're pre- you're really you busy,
0: that. and I appreciate so much that you took this time to join me um i you. really is respect you so much as, as a person first and foremost but also for all you do for music for uh everybody the music thank you put out there the body of work you've amassed over the years is just so amazing including the education and the, uh, um you know talking about mentorship and the value in that how important that is uh, just everything so thank you thank you
1: very thank you. much Thank you. And a big shout out to Mark. Mark, I love the miss you. It's been too long, so we'll connect. But uh, thank you, everybody, for for checking this out and keep supporting what Carl is doing and keep supporting what Carl is doing. <laughs>
0: yeah, Carl, Carl. <laughs> so Mark just posted a little comment here. I'll just read it. It was Tony Williams, Dennis Chambers, Will Kennedy, Alex Acuna. Dennis and Will share the same birthday. Tony, Alex, and Mark Monisters share the same birthday, and they were all hanging out for, like, it wasn't like 10 days or something. What a trip, man. That was wow. just epic. Wow. Awesome. Mark, I'll be in touch with you. Uh, you have my word. I will not disappoint you again. I've been forgetting everything. But anyways, uh, thanks again, Carl Allen. I appreciate this so much. Thank you. Up you up know the great we- word. We should have a contest. a contest.
1: So everybody's going to go to my online store and, and get some Carl Allen swag with the hats and the shirts and the hoodies. And then yeah. they can post up who looks the hippest in the Carl Allen swag. And whoever wins will have bra- bragging rights.
0: Okay. <laughs> <You go. laughs> All right, brother. Well, thanks again. Thanks everyone who's watching. We've had a lot of people hear a lot of nice comments. I appreciate this very much. It's just capturing history man with one of my favorite uh musicians and icon in the business carl allen thank you all thank you carl let's stay in touch okay man and bravo and congratulations good luck in kansas city my friend thank you thank you very much appreciate you you got it you too man take care thank you now all right Bye
1: -bye. bye bye